Good morning. That was a beautiful message and song. And now we want to follow it with a message from the book of Ruth. So we're going to read in Ruth chapter 1, where we did begin studying. I want to just make a comment. The other night, uh, when was the first night? Wednesday night. Yes. We began speaking about something that applies to the book of Ruth. People who apparently want wisdom, but then they do what they want to. And someone said later, did anyone in the church tell you here about something that was going on in the church? I just laughed. Because I get this everywhere I go. The message uh, Wednesday night was actually preached about a month ago in Spanish. I just translated it into English in a different place. And people there said, did anyone tell you about things in the church here? <laughs> the night my grandfather got saved at a gospel meeting, he was angry with the preacher and with my grandmother because he said he was sure that my grandmother told the preacher everything that was going on in his life so that he could preach about it. But when he realized that nobody has said anything to the preacher, and this is the way I like it, I don't like it when anybody puts a bug in my ear. Say this, say that. Just preach the word of God and let the chips fall where they do. You know, so that's on whoever needed it. <laughs> now the book of Ruth, we got through the first part, which was the departure. We talked about the prodigal family. A man who made a terrible decision, looking for life, looking for food for his family, looking for a better living situation, and he made a decision on his own. He didn't seek God's will. He just left. He announced he was leaving, and he left. He took his wife and his two children with him. And of the four people in that family, three of them never came back. They went into Moab looking for bread, and they found three tombstones. And we came to the end of verse 5, and we read, Malon and Kilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So when we finished up, we had Naomi, and there she is, all alone, in a foreign country. And that's where we're going to pick up our reading today, in Ruth. But first, I want to read to you, out of the book of Deuteronomy, there's a passage that's important because it affects what we're studying today in Deuteronomy. I hope you're reading the Old Testament, two-thirds of the Bible. It's really hard to understand things in the New Testament correctly if you don't know what's in the Old Testament. And uh, so in Deuteronomy chapter 23, we read these words in verse 3, uh, 3 through 6, verses 3 through 6, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. 
These are the people of Moab. And this is where Elimelech took his family to live. Not only did Elimelech die, but when he died, Naomi and her two sons didn't go back to Israel. Then the two sons made another mistake. They married Moabite women. Didn't we just read about that? They were not to come into the congregation forever. Intermarriage between Israel and Moab was strictly forbidden by God. But they did it. And Naomi didn't go back. She stayed there with them. This happens to people, doesn't it? Uh, they get to a certain age and they begin to follow their children around. And her sons married Moabitess women and they stayed in Moab, so Naomi stayed in Moab. But then we come to verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that, you may, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, and if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back to her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, 
which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. And the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Shall we pray? As we come into your presence, Heavenly Father, this morning, invoking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and desiring that all be done for his honor and glory, we pray that beyond the voice of the human messenger, we might hear the voice of God speaking to us. I remember the words of David and make them my own. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Bless your word to our hearts and work in our lives today for your honor and glory. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So now the book of Ruth, let's have a little quick review. The book of Ruth has four chapters. The name Ruth has four letters in it. If you want to understand the book of Ruth in a simple way, each chapter goes with one of the letters of her name. So you have R for chapter 1, U for chapter 2, T for chapter 3, and H for chapter 4. Chapter 1 is her resolve, her resolve. She makes a great decision, Ruth does, in this chapter. The book is not called Naomi, although Naomi is one of the prominent figures in the book. The book is called Ruth because the book is about what God did in the life of a Gentile woman. Here we have, we're going to see this today, we have a, a Jew and a Gentile going together into the land of Israel. The Jew had been there before, the Gentile had never been there. They were going into a place where they were going to be blessed. And there's a picture in this for us. God has interest in Jews and Gentiles. The scripture tells us, Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. Here they are, Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth makes a great decision in chapter 1. She makes a life-changing decision. Her resolve, her resolution to follow the living God and to identify herself with the people of God. There may be some people here today that need to make, that God is calling to make a life-changing decision to follow the living God. Amen. Chapter 2, the letter U, her unselfishness. In chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, we see her come out and she says, uh, let me go and work in the fields, she says to her mother-in-law. And she goes out and she works in the fields all day long. The man who's overseeing the workers in the field identifies her to Boaz and he says, she came out here early and she's been working the whole time and she hasn't stopped. And then when she met the owner of the fields, she didn't let him and his men do all the work for her. She kept working until the end of the day. She took everything that she had gleaned in the fields and she beat it out. She threshed it out herself, separated the chaff from the grain and she took it home to her mother-in-law all the work was already done. She didn't leave anything for her to do. And then she opened up her bag or whatever she had and she got out the extra food she'd had at lunch. She saved it for her mother-in-law. She gave it to her. Here's an unselfish woman. Resolve. Unselfishness. Chapter 3, her trust. In chapter 3, her mother-in-law finally coming out of her bitterness and her pity party, and she's finally starting to think about doing something for someone else. 
And she says, shall I not seek good for you, my daughter? Go down to the threshing floor. And she gives her the instructions. Wash, anoint, dress yourself. Go down to the threshing floor and lie down. Wait until, don't show, any, don't show yourself to anyone. And wait until he lies down to sleep. And go, not uncover him, uncover his feet and lie down at his feet. Because that was the way things were done. When there was a person who needed to be redeemed, that's another subject. We'll get to it at chapter 3. Ruth the Moabites didn't know anything about this. This was a Jewish custom. Go do that. She said, I'll do everything that you said. Amen. That's trust. That's trust. Now, what Naomi told her to do was not Naomi's opinion. If it had been Naomi's opinion, she could have said, well, who are you to say that? What Naomi told her to do is clearly marked out in the scripture earlier where they're told about the person who can redeem when there's a person, a family, a man who dies and leaves no heirs. They're told how to do it. And so Naomi was counseling her according to the scripture. This is the ministry of older women with younger women. It's what we have in Titus chapter 2. This is an example of it in Ruth chapter 3. But what does Ruth do? She doesn't say, eww. She says, I'll do everything you said. Her trust. And God honors those who honor him. God honors those who trust him. God, if he wants anything from us, before he wants to be worshipped, he wants to be trusted. He's worthy of our trust. You can't really worship God correctly if you don't trust him. Ruth trusted him. Resolve. Unselfishness. Trust. And then we come to chapter 4. H, honor. She's honored. When she went back, she had no idea what was waiting for her. Naomi. She thought she was just going to eke out a meager existence, a life, until she finally died of old age. But at least she would be in Bethlehem. And when Ruth went back, she had no hope of anything. She was a Moabitess. It was forbidden for the Moabites to enter the congregation of Israel. What hope did she have? And yet God honored her beyond her wildest dreams. Amen. Amen. Naomi got a grandson. There were no grandchildren born to her in Moab. There was no blessing in Moab. They were all sterile there. She got a grandson. Ruth got a husband. And not only did she get a husband, and if you keep reading the end of the book of Ruth, you find out that that woman and her son, her husband and, and their son, came, were in the lineage of King David. It was the great-grandmother of King David. And that means that they were in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, because Jesus Christ is called, O thou son of David. He's a descendant from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David. He came. This Gentile woman who came, who made this great decision, this resolve in chapter 1, who lived so unselfishly in chapter 2, who trusted in chapter 3, is brought into a place of eternal honor in chapter 4. God wants to bless us. Amen. But we have to trust Him. And we have to do things His way. So we had their departure in chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. They left... All they found were three tombstones. 
You see, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And the Old Testament is full of illustrations of this wonderful truth. So they went looking for life and they found death. And now this poor woman, Naomi, is left of her two sons and her husband. As she says at the end of chapter 1, the Lord brought me home empty. She says, I went out full. I came back empty. If she went out full, if she was full when she went out, why did she go? Why did they go if they had everything they needed? Well, what she really meant there was probably she went out with all her family. She went out with her husband and her two sons. And she came back empty. Nothing. No husband, no sons, no grandchildren, none were ever born. She came back empty. Now, if Ruth had been one of these overly sensitive persons who's always looking for something to be offended about, she would have said, oh, thanks a lot. You came back empty. What, who am I? But she knew what she meant. It's not good to be thin-skinned, to be almost looking, hoping that someone says something you can be offended about. She wasn't that way. She really was a noble woman. So here they are in verse 6 of chapter 1 at the point where Naomi's life begins to change for the good because it says here the first three words, then she arose. Then she arose. She got up. This is the return, verses 6 to 13, the return. You want the outline, the departure, verses 1 through 5. The return, verses 6 to 13. The great decisions in verses 14 to 18. And then from 19 to 22, the arrival at Bethlehem. Okay, now you got the outline. Now let's go get the meat. She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. The Lord didn't visit Moab. Listen carefully. There's no blessing in Moab. You can go away. You can go live there. But you're not going to have the blessing there. And when God sent the blessing, he sent it to his people in Israel. The place, the very place that they had left. The blessing was there. And this is why it is important not to get out of the will of God and not to leave the people of God and to go off on your own because when God sends a blessing, you won't be there. And all those other people stayed in Bethlehem. She heard. And so she arose because this is what she had to do. Now this word, she arose, come with me for a minute to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 15. Because here's a New Testament parallel Luke chapter 15, verse 17, we're reading in the middle of the parable of the prodigal son. In the book of Ruth, we have a prodigal family. In Luke chapter 15, we have a prodigal son. And in verse 17 it says, When he came to himself, 
He said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. He got up. Now listen, anyone can get out of the will of God. Any, any Christian can make a mistake. The worst thing about mistakes is when they're made, we start trying to justify them and defend them, and we get hardened in our position to the point where we're like those uh, things that have tank armor on them. They can't be penetrated. They, they can shoot anything, any verse in Scripture at us, and just, bong, it bounces off. Get up. Go back. One time, Donald Barnhouse, who preached in Philadelphia, he, took, he was taken on a trip through Texas, and he was riding through the ranch land in Texas. And he said this man was driving him through the ranch land, these huge ranches on both sides of the road with cattle out in the field. And he said there was a hole in the fence in one of these ranches, and there was a cow standing out on the road. And when the car approached the cow, the cow got frightened and started to run. Well, that's a funny thing to see. Have you ever seen a cow run? They're not exactly graceful. You know? So this cow is galloping along the road in front of the car with this wild look in its eyes. And the driver swerves around it to get away from it and passes it. And Donald Barnhouse is looking back at the cow, still running down the road. And he said, if that cow doesn't go back to the hole in the fence where it got out, it's never going to get back in the pasture. You got it? If you get out of the will of God as anyone can, turn around and go back to the hole in the fence and go back in. Go back in. She arose, it says, with her daughters-in-law that she might return. Now look at verse 7. Remember the other day we said that when there is, is something that's repeated in the scripture, it's for emphasis. God is saying, pay attention to this. He's emphasizing it. What does it say in verse 7 at the end? And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Because this is the whole idea. Return. Don't, don't feel sorry for yourself where you are. Don't stay where you are. Don't ask the Lord to bless you in Moab because the blessing is not coming to Moab. Go back. Where did you get out of the will of God? Go back and get back in it. Oh, she's thinking, well... I can just hear what they're going to say to me when I walk in the gate of Bethlehem. Don't worry about that. Go back. These people had been given the land of Israel. He had put out, the Lord had put out other nations and he had planted his people there in this land. He had given it to them. And then the land had been divided up between the tribes. And this portion was given to them. In Bethlehem, it was divinely assigned to them. It was the place on earth that God had given them to live. And because they didn't like the difficult situation that they were going through, they left and went to Moab, which God had not given to them. They left the blessing. They left the promise. They left the divine provision, and they went off. And can you live in Moab? Well, some people can. One out of four lived. The other three died. 
But just the fact that you can live there doesn't mean it's right. Return. This is God's message to people who get out of his will. And this is God's message to people who have lived all their life without ever really becoming a true Christian. People who have never really been born again by the grace of God who need to be saved. This is God's message. You're wandering around in the world. You're trying to find your satisfaction and your happiness. You're out there in Moab. And God is saying, come to me. Come to me. He had to tell his people in the Old Testament to turn around and come back. But now he's saying, look, here's a Moabitess. She'd never been to Israel before, and she's going. And the Lord is saying there's room in blessing, the blessing and the place, the blessing of God for everyone. But you have to come. In Isaiah chapter 44, and this is a theme that runs right through the scriptures. Isaiah 44 and verse 22 He says to Israel, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Come back, he says. He's telling the people of Israel, come back. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 1, another prophet who lived a generation later, Jeremiah, They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's wife, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Return to me, he says. Chapter 4 of Jeremiah, verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. If thou wilt put away thy abomination out of thy sight, then thou shalt not remove. The Lord wants to bless them. But he can't bless them in Moab. They got to come back to where he says. And God can't bless you if you're wandering in the world. There was a place 2,000 years ago where God sent his son to die on the cross at Calvary. And he hung there, Peter says, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And you're never going to find peace and happiness until you leave your life of wandering in the Moab of this world and you come to the cross at Calvary. You return. Come back to the God who made you. Come to the God who loves you. Come to the God who gave his son to die for you at Calvary. He bore your sins. He was punished for your sins on the cross at Calvary. There he was. And he's waiting for you there. You're not going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ Anywhere else except the judgment if you don't meet him first at Calvary. This is where he wants to meet you. Come to me, he says. James 4.8, in the New Testament we're told, because some people say, tell it to me from the New Testament. Okay. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The ball's in your court. Draw near to God. What did Naomi do? She drew near to God. What did Ruth do? She drew near to God. What was waiting for them in the place where they drew near to God, where they came back into Bethlehem, into the promised land, the land that God had given to them? Blessing was waiting. The people received them. And there was blessing. 
So now she's traveling along, and she has these two women with her, these two Moabitess women. Now, Naomi is not stupid. Naomi is a Jewess, and she's thinking, Moabitess, first of all, my son shouldn't have married them, and now they're going with me back, and I'm going to show up there at the gates of Bethlehem where we went out, and I'm going to have two Moabitesses with me. Okay, girls, thank you. You've accompanied me. They probably went with her in the beginning because they felt sorry for her. She's a widow. She's got to make a journey. They're not going to let her just go out and take the journey by herself. So they're accompanying her. This, that's the least they could do. But she's worried, maybe, about the reception they're going to have. And she knows that they're Moabitesses and that they would be happy in their own land. So she tries to get rid of them. She tries to thank them and have them return. Verse 8. She tries three times in the following verses to get them to go back. And the first time they say no. But you see, in that part of the world, uh, you don't often accept an invitation or agree to something the first time. It's the first time, the second time, and the third time. And when they say the third time, please do this for my mother's sake, for my grandmother's sake, whatever. Then when they finally insist the third time, you say, oh, okay, all right then, if you insist. It's just the polite way you do things. This is awful for them when they come to our homes to eat. And we offer them food. We say, would you have some? They'll say, no, thank you, because it's polite to refuse until the third time. So you say, oh, okay, and you just put it up. Then they don't get anything to eat. <laughs> They're waiting for the second and the third invitation. <laughs> Go return each to her mother's house. He said, you were kind to me, you were kind to the dead, to your husbands. Now go back and, and I hope that each of you will find a husband there and, and be happy in your land. And they cried. They were weepy. Verse 10, verse 9 at the end. They lifted up their voices and wept, but they didn't do it. They didn't do what she said. That was the first invitation. They said unto her, surely we will return with thee to thy people. And Naomi said, turn again. Second time, she's trying to send them away. Goodbye, girls. Turn again, my daughters. What are you going to stay with me for? She says, go back. Verse 12 again. Go back. Are there any more sons in my womb? Suppose I had a husband tonight. I'm too old to start with, but suppose I had a husband tonight. And children were going to be born. Would you wait for them? No, she said. It's too much to ask. You're, you're, you're being too polite. You're being too kind. Go back. You fulfilled your social duty with me. Go back now. It's okay. Go back. Turn again, she says in, in verse 11. Turn again, she says in verse 12. And then, before we come to their decision, the end of verse 13, she says, I'm grieved. She said, the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. She was aware of the fact that in her family, they had made a bad decision and they had gone out. She saw the hand of the Lord against her. They left out of the will of God. They left the place that God had given them. If the hand of the Lord was against her, what was it against her husband and her two sons? They never saw Israel again. The hand of the Lord was being merciful to her, but she couldn't see it. All she could see was what she had lost. She couldn't see what she might gain if she went back. And this is the way it is for us. 
Sometimes we spend too much time thinking about what we lost or what happened to us, uh, how sad we are, how things went against us, uh, what it's going to cost us if we decide to follow the Lord. We're thinking about all of these things, and we have no idea the blessing and the care that God has for us if we commit ourselves to Him. Remember this, God honors those who honor Him. God is no man's debtor. You cannot make a commitment to God that's greater than the commitment He'll make to you. And if you think you can, go back and look at Calvary. Go back, she says. Go back, she says. Don't walk with me. It's like she's saying, I'm bad luck. Look what's happened to me. I lost my husband. I lost my two sons. The hand of the Lord is against me. It's like she's saying, I'm Jonah in the boat. Throw me out. If you get away from me, things will go well for you. So they cried again, verse 14. And here comes the decision. They cried, and Orpah kissed her and left. He doesn't say she left in verse 14, but read verse 15. What did I tell you the other day? If you don't have all the information you need yet, keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 15 says, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back. So when Orpah kissed her, it was goodbye. And she turned around and she's walking off. And there, there's Orpah's backside. She's getting smaller in the picture. She's going back. And Ruth is standing there looking at Naomi. And it says in verse 14, but, but, that's a contrast. Two completely different things here. Orpah kissed her to say goodbye, but Ruth clave unto her. Now that word means she stuck to her like glue. She clung to her. She wouldn't leave her. I'm not giving you a goodbye kiss. She hung on to her. She wouldn't go. And Naomi knows what this means. She feels that Ruth is reluctant. And so she tries to encourage her. And here's the other, the final invitation to please go back, she says. Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Go on. There she went. Go with her. To her people and to her gods. Because the living God was not in Moab. He was in Israel. The people of Moab were not the people of Israel. A completely different culture, completely different religion, completely different race of people. Everything was different. Go back to your people and to your gods. I won't do it, she says. And this is where we come to the great decision. Orpah made a decision, and remember this. Orpah is never again mentioned in the book of Ruth. She disappears. The Spirit of God is not following the life of Orpah to tell us what happened to her and who she married when she got back to Moab and all of that, because that's not the point. The Spirit of God is following, is singling out for us and following the life of the woman who made the right decision. She made a difficult decision. And she had no encouragement to make this decision. Some of you, 
We plead with you for years to come to Christ. We call upon you. We try to exalt Christ before you. We tell you about how he loves you and how he died for you. And we say, come to him, come to him, come to him. Uh, Naomi's encouraging them to go back, go back, go home, go home, go home. And in spite of this, she's made up her mind. She's going with her and not just going with her. Look at the decision that she made and think about Ruth's great resolve. Think about what she could have said. Well, I don't know anyone in Bethlehem. And besides, you know, I'll be an outsider. I'm a Moabitess. Uh, another famous thing women always say is, oh, I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> or I'll wait until Orpah, let me go, I'll go back with her, and then when she decides, so we can do it together. I, I'll go back with her, and then when Orpah decides, I'll come with her, because we want to do everything together. How many people have missed salvation because they're waiting for somebody else, and God is speaking to you, and you're putting it off on someone else that's not listening the only way to honor the Lord is to respond when he's calling to you. Amen. Don't wait for someone else. Don't wait for someone else. If you put someone else before the Lord, you will not be honoring him and he will not bless you. And you will be a bad example to the very person that you're wishing would come to him with you because you're showing them that God is not first, that he's more important. The only way is to put the Lord first. She didn't say, I can't leave our religion. You know, I, I'm not a Jewish. I can't go there and, and do that. You know, we have our gods. We have Chemosh. His name was Chemosh. He was it's called the destroyer. We have Baal Peor, which means the god of the orifice. And don't ask me to explain to you anything about that. You can only imagine. And then they had Ashtoreth who was the consort of Baal. These were their gods and goddesses. If, if you like, I have a paper in English on that. It's a PDF file. If you give me your email address, or I'll give it to somebody, and you can have it if you like. I have the outline of the Book of Ruth and the PDF file and the thing about the gods of Moab. If you'd like to know more about that, I can give you those, but we're not going to go into that right now. I can't leave our religion. I hear this all the time in Spain. I hear people say, oh, that's really nice, but you know, I was born in this religion, which is 98% Roman Catholic in Spain. I was born in this religion. My family's been in it all my life, and I'm going to die in it. I'm not going to leave the family religion. So I say, okay, here's a house that you were born in. You lived in this house all your life. And one night while you're upstairs, you smell smoke. And you jump out of the bed and you realize the whole downstairs is aflame. The whole downstairs of the house is burning. You can't get down the stairs. By then, someone's already called the fire truck. And the firemen are out there setting up. And one of the firemen looks up and he sees you in the window and he says, jump! They got it all set up. Just jump! We'll catch you. And you lean out the window and you say, Oh, I was born in this house. My family's always lived in this house. 
Now, all of our memories are in this house. I'm not going to be the one to leave it. I'm going to die in this house. And you just go back and get in the bed and wait to die. <laughs> you're not going to do that. Before the fireman even finishes saying jump, you're going to be out the window. So none of these excuses are good. A good excuse for why you don't do something is not the same as having done it. You got that? A good excuse for not doing something is not the same as having done it. She could have made all kinds of excuses, but she says, entreat me not, don't ask me. It means literally translated it would be, be not against me. Don't resist me. Don't ask me to do this. Don't ask me to leave you. To return from following. Don't ask me to do that, she says. Now, the Lord will never ask you to do that. The Lord says, follow me. He puts it positively. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Lord says, follow me. He doesn't say, follow the church, follow preachers. He says, follow me. Follow me. And to follow him, you've got to have your eyes on him. But even so, with the Lord saying, follow me, some people never do it. They talk about it. They listen to it. They think about it. They sing about it. But they don't do it. Follow me. She says, don't ask me to leave from, from following you. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part between me and thee. Now listen. This is a wonderful Old Testament example of a conversion. You want to know why Ruth got into the land of Israel? You want to know why she was accepted in the town of Bethlehem? You want to know why she was able to marry a man like Boaz and be in the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ? You want to know why? Because she stopped being a Moabitess. She was converted right there on the road. If Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, Ruth was converted on the road to Bethlehem. She made her decision. And it was a wonderful decision. Her resolve, she was not thinking, well, I'll like those lapel pins they used to have. Try Jesus. What do you mean? Is that like a test drive? <laughs> she wasn't going to raise her hand and uh, cry a little tear, the lagrimita we say in Spanish, and see what happens. It was a resolve. It was a life-changing, no-turning-back decision a commitment that she had made, and she was saying goodbye to her old life. Now, some of you are never going to get saved. Some of you are never going to have salvation until you learn what it means to say goodbye to the old life. You want to drag it with you. You want to take it with you. You want to live in Moab and be in Bethlehem, and you can't do it. It's one of the two. Her direction Whither thou goest, I'm following you, she said. Her dwelling, she chose a new dwelling. She said, where you lodge, 
That'll be where you live, that's where I'm going to live. She said, he chose a new people. Your people, my people. Goodbye, Moab. Your people, my people. Now, the most important, because this is what's the root of it all, this is what's the base of it all. She said, your God, my God. Not Chemosh, not Baal Peor, not Ashtoreth, or any other gods, the gods of the Moabs. Her sister-in-law went back to her people and to her gods, but Ruth chose the people of Naomi and her God, the true living God, who said through the prophet Isaiah, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. This is not pluralism. One true living God. And she made the life-changing choice. And she chose a new place of death and burial. She said, where you die, I'll die. What does that mean? That means, it doesn't mean she was planning her death, but it means I'm not going back. I'm staying with you until I die. And where you're buried, they're going to have a, a tomb for me there. I'm going to be buried beside you when I die. I'm not going back to those three tombstones in Moab. I'm in this to the end. Amen. This is a decision. Some people, they can't even make a decision like that about, about gathering with the Lord's people. Every time there's a meeting day, they have to decide. They have to get up and <coughs> see how they feel and make a decision. Am I going to the meeting today or not? In the New Testament we read, about the Lord Jesus, when the Sabbath was come, he was found in the synagogue as was his custom. That's a decision he made once for life. It was already predetermined, predecided. Now, I'm not saying if you're sick, you should drag in here on a, be dragged in here in an ambulance. I'm not saying that. But you don't, we don't have to make a decision every time there's a meeting. We should have already decided these things. When we decide to follow the Lord, it's a package deal. Thy people, my people. Thy God, my God. This is the decision that she made. This is her resolve. And when I think about the resolve of Ruth, her choosing of a new direction in life, of a new place to live, of a new people, and a new God, and her identification until death and burial with them. When I think about her and what it says in this next verse, Verse 18, when she saw, that means Naomi, when she saw that she, Ruth, was steadfastly minded, it means that she was absolutely determined. When she saw her steadfastness, she stopped discussing it with her. She didn't, try, she didn't say anymore, but go back. She saw. This is what the Lord wants from us. He wants this that we see in verse 14. Ruth stuck to her. This is a true conversion. When we stick to God, not Ruth to Naomi. But this is a true conversion. She's made a, de a determination. She's taken a resolve, and she's not going to change. I stick to you. I'm determined. Don't talk to me about leaving. I'll be with you until death. And Naomi's looking at her, and she says, okay, no more discussion. I can see, as we say, that your mind is made up. Your mind is made up. And when your mind is made up about Jesus Christ, 
the way this woman's mind was made up about going back to Israel, you'll be truly saved. This is a picture in the Old Testament of a true conversion. You choose a new direction. The Lord Jesus said, follow me. Stop following the world. Stop following the unsaved. Stop following the flesh. Stop following the devil. Stop going your own way. Follow Christ. Eyes on him and follow him. You choose a new dwelling. We learn in the book of Ephesians that we used to be dead in trespasses and sins and we were excluded from Israel just like the Moabites. We were without God in the world, strangers to the covenants and the promises. But when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, we're told that now we're no longer strangers and sojourners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's a choice. Thy people, my people, the Lord's dwelling place is heaven, and we're citizens of heaven. We're going to be there with him. We used to sing these hymns. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Heaven is my home away beyond the blue. The angels beckon me through heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's the music. That's the song of somebody who's made a life-changing decision. Their direction has changed. They're not walking the same way they were. Their hope is different. The people that they associate with is different. Thy people, my people. What does it say in Acts chapter 2? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. All of these newly saved people, they didn't have to go to seminary and Bible college to learn all of this. Newly Converted people. And immediately, what did they do? They did what Ruth did to Naomi. They stuck to her. She stuck to her. They stuck to each other, to one another. They stuck together. They were determined. They made a commitment to the Lord. And that commitment to the Lord drew them together, one with another. She chose a new God. This is a wonderful thing. When a person can get rid of all the saints and the angels, and all of these philosophies and things, and trust in the true and living God. God made it easy for us to know him and to trust him. He sent his son into this world. And after living a perfect life, he gave that life, burdened with our sins on the cross of Calvary. He died. He took the, the punishment for sins that he never committed. Before he went to the cross, he said to his disciples, He that has seen me has seen the Father. God has made himself known to us so that we might choose him. But hear me now. God will not force you against your will to choose him. He has given you a will and he respects it. And that's a dangerous thing. Because you and you alone will be responsible for the choices that you make. Ruth chose. Thy God, my God. And with that, Chemosh and Baal Peor and Ashtoreth and anybody else there might have been, the gods of the Moabites. The Moabites who invited the children of Israel up onto the mountain to the sacrifices of Baal Peor and they committed immoral, perverse acts with them there and God 
broke out in wrath on the children of Israel, and thousands of them died that day for their association with the Moabites and the Midianites. She left all of that behind. She didn't worry about what other people thought. She made the right decision. And I think it's to Naomi's credit, personally. Naomi feels chastised by God, but I think it's to her credit that Ruth had seen something in her. And she was willing to go back with her and to trust in the God of Naomi. I think that's a tremendous credit to Naomi. In fact, I think Ruth had more faith than Naomi did. Because Naomi knew God and the land that she had been given. Ruth is a complete stranger to all of this. She, doesn't, she didn't know anything about the God of Israel except what she'd heard Naomi say. And yet she's willing to leave everything behind and go and trust it. Let me tell you this this morning. If you're willing to renounce your old life and to trust in the living God and in his son, Jesus Christ, he has blessing waiting for you. You're not going to want to go back to the old life. Death and burial, the New Testament tells us that we are crucified. Those of us who are Christians, we are crucified with Christ. We have been buried with him, we're told. Now, that sounds like strange language to people who don't know the Lord. But what it means is our identification with Christ is so complete that it is as if, in fact, we died there when he died because he represented us. He died for me. Years ago in the Spanish Civil War, there was a man, two men who were good friends. They lived in a village. This was a, about 1936 in Spain. They lived in, this is a true story, and they, one of them got summoned or drafted to military service during the Civil War. He was married. His best friend was not married. His best friend said to him, let me go in your place. You're married. You have a wife and a child, let me go in case anything happens. You don't want your wife to be a, a widow and your son an orphan. Let me go. So they talked and they talked and finally the married friend gave in. And so his other friend went, his friend went and fought. And he fought in the Battle of the Ebro. The Ebro, the Battle of the Ebro was one of the, the I can't think of the word in English. We say Vresia, Batalla Vresia, one of the, there, thank you. Do you know Spanish? <laughs> One of the fiercest, bloodiest battles in the Civil War, and his friend died there. And soon the message got back to the village. The list of the people who had died, and his friend's name was on it. He left immediately. He went to the battlefield. He wanted to at least bury his friend and, and grieve, mourn over him. But when he got there, because of the conditions, they had already buried the dead and the markers were out. And so he went along the markers until he found the place where his friend had been buried and he knelt down there in front of it, just a very little simple marker and he took something and he started writing on this marker. And these are the words that he wrote. The tears are falling from his face. He wrote, he died for me. Él murió por mí. He died for me. That's all he could say. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you realize that he died for you? He died in your place. 
you should die for your sins. The wages of sin is death, and God does not pardon that. What he did was he dealt with it in his son. His son died for you. He died for me. This woman is an illustration of one of life's great decisions, the kind that changes you for all of your life. She chose a new direction. She chose a new people. She chose a new dwelling place. She chose a new God, and she was in it until death. She wasn't trying anything out. Is this not an example, I ask you, of repentance and faith in the New Testament? Is this not an example of Luke chapter 14 where we read uh, about if any man will come after me, if any man will come after me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and brethren, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple? Isn't this what this means? That she's willing to give everything up in order to have the living God? She left her old life behind and she found a new life. And maybe there's someone here today that needs to leave an old life behind. The God who blessed Ruth is just as ready to bless you today. They got back to Bethlehem. Verse 20, the people said, is this Naomi? They didn't know Ruth. But they, they looked at Naomi and they said, is that her? All the years probably at least 15 years, maybe 20, had gone by. And all of the sorrow that had been in her life. And they looked at her and they said, is that Naomi? She said, don't call me Naomi. Yeah, she's taken the low place. Don't call me Naomi. She recognizes that her family has been chastised by God. But all she can think about is, I'm a bitter woman. I'm a bitter woman. Don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Marta, bitterness, she said. I want to tell you something. Go read the rest of the book and find me one person that ever called her Marta. <laughs> they wouldn't do it. She's Naomi. From there right to the end of the book, she's Naomi. Because even when God has to take us through difficult times in our life, if we come back to him, he's not through blessing us. He's not through blessing us. And he wants to do that to you today. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we give thanks for these wonderful histories in the word of God, the things that were written aforetime that were written for our instruction. We give thanks for all the truth that we find in it. And we don't want to just be admirers of this wonderful Moabitess woman, Ruth. We want to follow her example. And so we pray that by the Holy Spirit, each one would be moved today to make that personal and unchanging commitment to Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his own blessed name. Amen.